This is Oyin Oladejo. I play Joanna Woshikun on Star Trek Discovery, and you're listening to The Greatest Discovery. Captain! Captain! Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of the greatest generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Do you remember how to do a show? About a Star Trek series that is longer than 22 minutes. <laughs> I, was, I was really under the gun schedule-wise today because I was like, I, you know, we, I always try to watch uh, episodes twice for yeah. these, these newer Trek shows because they're so dense. Right. You don't want to miss a thing. And I don't want to miss a thing. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was really up against it. I, I like slid in under... The wire w slash r slash t our recording time How about that you made it i made it i've been here the whole time neither of us had to do the hey can i get 15 minutes today no we were ready to go on time and on schedule that's the greatest generation promise yeah which extends to cover the greatest discovery <laughs> right it's an entire family of products ben <laughs> yeah I am excited to get back into adult Star Trek again. New Star Trek. Yeah. As we call it around here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I am too. I didn't know how much I missed it until I had it back. Yeah. Yeah. Now I'd never want it to go away again. Well, good news, Adam. It won't. Yeah. <laughs> They're just going to make so much of this stuff. Yeah. Until we're dead. Yeah. It's great. Renewable resource. Um. I was I was thinking about that. Like the thing that is amazing about Star Trek is that it kind of constantly reinvents itself and has new generations of fans. And I was thinking there will be at some point in the future somebody who is like a nostalgic look back podcast at Discovery specifically. Yeah, with those kind of eyes, not contemporary eyes. Remember the Star Trek we grew up with, the good one? Yeah, this is that. This is that to them. I mean, it probably won't be a podcast. There won't be podcasts in the future. I wonder how useful the time off was. Like, I really wonder if for the last several weeks, Discovery post-production was like really working on these apps, yeah. or if they were all in the can anyway, and this is just a planned schedule thing. Yeah, well, we went to see them recording the music for the last episode of season two. And that was pretty close to the release date of that episode, if memory serves. Yeah, it was. I was surprised. It was only like a few weeks away. And I mean, we know what schedule pressure feels like. Sure. And uh, I can't even imagine what schedule pressure feels like when you're doing something as high profile as a hour-long prestige television show. I don't know, man. Like, There's something about the vibe. Uh, Jeff Russo, friend of the podcast- Real chill as a composer. He doesn't know he's a friend of the podcast. <laughs> Most friends of the podcast don't know that they're friends of the podcast, but yeah, I mean, if that's the sort of schedule pressure you're under, uh, it seemed to me as an outsider uh, that it was not a stressful hang. Yeah. Making great music for the show. Yeah. One thing that has always stuck in my mind about that is how many notes he got from the control room, you know? Yeah. Like every time they recorded a track, somebody would have a few things to suggest that they 
do differently in the next take. And they would like give that to him in an earpiece and then he would transmit that to the various parts of the orchestra that he was conducting. And there was a fair bit of translation happening there too, which I really liked. Yeah, it was it was interesting to see how that worked, but also really interesting to see an uh, artist at that level getting noted and, you know, not like <laughs> getting notes can be really hard. It's going to be really hard to like take feedback of any kind, constructive or otherwise. It you know? makes me wish I had a translator because I'm often the nitpicky note giver on <laughs> stuff like our graphic materials. And that's tough. That's tough yeah. to be a creative and to get notes. I think if you really were feeling the pressure, it would be easier to let that stuff get to you too. Yeah. So that's a very aspirational headspace that that guy is able to get into. Yeah, it is. We can only hope to yeah. be similar in our own productions and with the people that we work with, our growing Miriam number of people. Yeah. We got a team over here. Well, what do you say, Ben? We've got such a long episode. I really want to get into all that there is to discuss. Okay. We, uh, we, we catch ourselves up with Star Trek Discovery's fourth season. We're back with episode eight. I'm all in. All in being also the title of the episode. <laughs> and if you'd forgotten what the first seven episodes were about, we get a super long previously. Yeah. Here are the bullet points. Book's planet and all the birds on it were destroyed. Birds. We got a double black hole situation. Whoa, that's so intense. I mean, it's fine to take out a planet, but do you have to take the birds with it? Starfleet thinks this is all the fault of unknown species 10C. Zora is self-aware. Culber is feeling bad. Tarka has his own spore drive and a bomb. Book and Tarka have left to go rogue. And Grudge is now living with Michael Burnham. The opening of this episode is the immediate aftermath of Book and Tarka running off with a spore drive of their own and a plan to take the fight to the 10 C and Admiral dad, who gets his email hacked in an embarrassingly simple fishing scheme is fucking pissed. He really brings the right energy to the proceeding because Admiral police captain in a gritty crime thriller. That's a casting mistake because he's distractingly attractive, like has to immediately send ships into pursuit. It's like a real uh, follow that car situation, but they can't follow the car because the car they need to follow has a spore drive and it's jumped. <laughs> it could be anywhere, literally anywhere. This is kind of a dumb idea, Admiral. Yeah. So he and Michael Burnham get hauled into the principal's office where President Rillick lays into them for allowing this extremely dangerous situation to unfold and she wants assurances that nobody knew that this was happening like it's very embarrassing for the admiral because you know his security key got used it's complicated for burnham because she was like speaking against book publicly and she has a personal relationship with him you know the admiral is like okay like we know like what they need is they need isolinium to like make this bomb and so they probably have like a few limited options as far as that goes. This is not like an explosive that you can just buy with a fake ID from the guy from Jurassic Park. Right. Nor is Tarka, like the Val Kilmer of the situation, able to just go and buy it with a, with a forged identification. Like That's exactly what I just said from the guy from Jurassic Park. The lawyer from Jurassic Park is the guy he buys it from. 
Is it? Are you just a Twitter commenter? <laughs> Are you just saying the joke I just said? <laughs> That's what I do on this show. <laughs> that is not what you do on this show. You don't know what we do on this show? I don't think that's what we do. That's not what we do here. That's not how it works. Yeah, you're right. So uh, this is sort of- It's double embarrassment, Ben. It's double embarrassment. And it's that scene where like the police captain tells the detective, like, you're too close to the case, Burnham. Right. You're not on this one. It's one of the rare moments I've been on President Rillick's side, to be honest. Like, not Rillick's fault. Nope. Rillick just says bad help. Rillick got fucked over majorly in this. And she is also, like, feeling the looming embarrassment herself because she just held the big conference to come up with this decision. And if the outcome of that conference is the opposite of the decision they made, she's going to look like a real fucking chump. And I mean, that's the short-term consequence. But the longer-term one is, like, she's been trying using the spore drive technology to get the Federation off of the dilithium teat. Yeah. And now they're going to be stuck to that teat forever. Teat locked. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) all of those problems have to take a backseat to the idea that the 10C could retaliate and kill them all. Right. (laughs) Now is not the best time for Burnham to defend Book here in this scene. I was like, just bite your tongue, Burnham. Like, please, stop this. (laughs) And it's not a great mission to volunteer for either, Michael, again. Right. And Rillick is right to deny her request to participate in the bring book back better mission as it is on the table. (laughs) So we cut to Book's ship where he and Tarka are flying through some asteroids and Tarka's like, so what do you think of the drive? Like good interface, bad interface, anything you would tweak? I want suggestions here. I mean, Book didn't get to put his hands in it, right? The new drive just sort of sunk into the panel and that's how they they do Spore now? We didn't really get to see it go down. I'm imagining that he- We saw it going in, but we didn't see the Spore shoot happen. Did some goo go come out of the panel after that and go over Book's hands? None of your business. I don't know. You'd need a blacklight for that. Yeah. We get to see some digital wanted posters of these two. APB has gone out for their whereabouts, and um, Book is starting to sweat some of the consequences of- the choices that they're making. And Tark is like, dude, you don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Like, we're going to save the galaxy. We're going to be heroes. Once the insurrection's over, we'll get full pardons. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, what Tarka leaves unsaid here, and I kind of wanted Book to call him on, was, I'm not even going to be in this universe. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Like, I don't care at all. If this works, Tarka gets away scot-free, so scot-free that he does not exist anymore in a way that could be arrested. Yeah, he's going to be so far outside the jurisdiction that it's not a problem. But What they're going to need to arrest him is a time cop, Ben. Mm. <laughs> Walker. They're going to have to go back to the year 1994. <laughs> you know who else I think might need a time cop? You're going to need a time cop. Yeah. Things didn't work out very well for your yeah. on that beat. Tarka could wind up uh, in just as bad of shape. One thing comes as a surprise 
to book in this scene, and it's that they don't already have the bomb-making material they need to make this thing work. Yeah, Tarkin neglected to mention that when they when they took a ship. I was counting on getting federal assistance with that, but uh... yeah, oops. <laughs> yeah, so. They kind of do the math. Like Starfleet is probably shaking down all of the normal distribution sites for this. So we're going to have to kind of take an end run around that. Book has an idea of a another source for Isolinium. And uh, they decide that that's where they're going to head. We cut back over to Admiral. I trusted someone who broke my heart and I may never get over it. Giving Michael Burnham the backstory on Tarka. And they're just trading all sorts of guilt currency in this scene. (laughs) You don't get it, Michael. I feel responsible. And I've put my family in danger. You'll never understand. And Burnham's (laughs) like, book was my family, idiot. (laughs) We're talking about the same person. (laughs) Like two versions of the same person, I mean. Yeah. Listen, Admiral mansplaining his trauma to somebody who's experienced equivalent or greater trauma. (laughs) I I know what you're talking about. But the Admiral quickly kind of pivots to, hey, listen, like, I know you have a mission to go find information about the Tensi, like get as much information about the area of space that that they are located in before you head there to make first contact is your mission. But what I want you to do is think creatively about how you can also nab Book and Tarka while you're doing that mission. The Admiral's like, ordinarily, I like installing captains that are originalists when it comes to my orders. (laughs) Real letter of the law type. But what I want you to be on this mission is more of a modernist. Mm Kind of take it in a modern interpretation. I want uh, this to be sort of an activist mission. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pursuing our shared goals right. while you're in this in this position. So you mean like any starship captain we've ever seen on Star Trek ever? <laughs> Is that what you're saying, Admiral? He's like, you're picking up what I'm putting down. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of an interesting moment, right? Like I couldn't say this in front of Relic because we have to present a unified front. Right. But also like Relic is no stranger to Let's present a unified front while you go sneak around and do some shit for me. Exactly. Burnham meets with Saru and Stamets, who have been doing some research on this area of space. And it's like there's like a sphere that's been edited out of the star map. And they can tell that there's like gravity. So there's stuff there, but they don't know anything about it. And it's kind of beyond the explored space of the Federation. But... The uh, Emerald Chain did have contact with some people called the Stilf, who live like next door to the Tensee. So maybe they'll know what the Tensee's reputation is. Burnham, from her time as a space pirate, may have a friend who can give them some useful maps of the area. Yeah. Of how to get to this neighbor, maybe, right? I know some Emerald Chain adjacent people. Maybe we can get some, some Stilf space scans from them yeah it's always awkward to go knock on a neighbor's door yeah. unannounced right <laughs> hey so uh so my kid lost a ball in your backyard <laughs> and what's crazy is like your backyard gobbled up like a whole galaxy of kids 
I couldn't help but notice you have a really big scary dog back there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't want that ball to be back there forever. Right. Who's going to go with Burnham on this mission is the question. Because we're used to Burnham going alone or with Book. Burnham needs a new book. She does. And she tells Saru that Owa will be the new book. Yeah. And not Saru. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that's just because Saru, being a red jacket now, gets to get left in command of the starship. I like Owo more and more, and especially, you know, by the end of the episode. But this episode becomes incredibly funny if it's Saru <laughs> who goes on this mission <laughs> instead. Doing all the same yeah. shit Owo does. <laughs> like, do not change a single thing except Saru for <laughs> Owo. And, and this episode is incredible. <laughs> Saru just murdered a guy in that boxing ring with like a mule kick <laughs> kicked a fucking hole in his chest <laughs> that guy kicks like Mike Tyson punches Saru also plays in the poker game and his disgusting <laughs> fingers holding the cards make everyone yeah. else fold yeah he's got to tell he strokes his fingers and it makes everybody barf <laughs> People started getting sick and throwing up all over each other. So Tarka and Book show up at a spot that Book refers to as Haz Mazaro's Karma Barge on Parathia. Were you familiar with what a Karma Barge was? I replayed this scene 10 times and I was like, uh -huh. I'm pretty sure they said Karma Barge. I don't know what that is. <laughs> I also, because of uh, Book's accent, I wasn't sure if he was saying Haz Mazzaro or Haz Mazzaro. Yeah. Haz, but yeah, there was a, uh, it took me a while. I, I had to play this back for myself as well. Haz Mazzaro's Karma Barge, welcome. Haz Mazzaro's Karma Barge. Haz Mazzaro's Karma Barge. <laughs> Red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> Red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> the club is pretty cool. Yeah, it's kind of a Quark's Bar kind of energy in here. A lot of riffraff, a lot of shady characters drinking and gambling. and There's a Chekhov's boxing ring in the middle. This uh, this Karma Barge, you can really buy anything here. Like if, if you can't gamble for it out on the floor, there's a, unlike uh, the gap where everything that they have is, is out, uh, there is a back area with a lot more stock. Right. At Hasmasaro's Karma Barge. <laughs> There's always a back area. Yeah. Finally meet Hasmasaro of Hasmasaro's Karma Barge. Ooh, I almost missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> I I hit the I hit the mat after landing and kind of did the wobble. <laughs> uh, uh But you stuck it. You stuck it. Hasmasaro of Hasmasaro's Karma Barge has a Guinan hat without the hat. Like that's how his head looks. Yeah, it's just built into his loaf. Yeah. And we get brought into the aforementioned back room with him. Yeah. How's Mazzaro? Happy to see Book, whose code name here is Glowworm. How's Mazzaro is trying to sell them on some like scanning equipment or something. And Tarka goes off to kind of like look through the wares. And How's Mazzaro is like, who is that guy? What's the deal with his attitude? And Book explains what they're there for. Like, we're, hey, man, we need some isolinium. We need good isolinium. None of this bullshit. But we brought money. I know you've been pissed at me in the past, but uh, how about 
all of this latinum that I just pulled out of my jacket. And husband Zara's like, that'll be plenty to pay off your debt. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. yeah. Book needed to get square before going straight. Yeah. And it turns out that Book owes Hasmazaro for disrupting transworm commerce. Like the thing that Hasmazaro considers Book to owe him for was like fucking up somebody's ship who was illegally transporting worms. And I guess maybe that's where the glowworm name comes from. I mean, maybe, but. Uh... Book is like, I told that guy not to transport transworms. So, you know, it's not my fault that. <laughs> He was nearly ruined, and it took him six months to get his business back going. Kind of a bad look for Book. Yeah. To be honest. You don't like a guy who walks away from a debt. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like uh, they're pretty much screwed here. Hasmazaro is like on his way to kicking them out of his office when Book is like, wait, 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 wait. I know there's a lot of people counting cards over there in your casino that can really affects the bottom line, and you don't want to live with the ignominy of having run a casino that failed. We think it's going to be a tremendous success. You'd never be taken seriously as a businessman. So the offer to get square is, Book is like, if we can catch gambling cheats on your gambling floor here, will that make us even for the debt that I owe you and also all of this explosive material that we want to buy? (laughs) Yeah, this highly illicit weapons-grade isolidium. Can it be bought for catching some guys counting cards? It sounds like a deal that Hasmazaro accepts if you can understand what the fuck they're saying without subtitles at the end of this scene. <laughs> I played this part another 10 times. Yeah. I could not figure out what they were saying. All the things. They don't have closed captioning on the on the screeners that we get. Yeah. So uh, I feel like Hasmazaro was saying some sort of colloquialism like that was. Yeah. Well, so he has contextually all of, fitting with the situation, but I didn't get it because I didn't have the context. I actually kind of liked this about Hasmazaro is that he speaks in idiomatic language a lot of the time. And yeah. it's stuff like I don't know. Cardassian had a particular affinity for cake, but I guess I'll take your word for it. Hasmazaro. Right. Like you seem awful sure. I guess cake is what they call the blood of Bajorans. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Yeah. How do you think President Rillick feels about cake? Is she only like one quarter interested in it? I don't know. I'd like to find out. Yeah. President Rillick wanted to be president so she could be the girl with the most cake. Yeah. Whatever the cost. I usually don't care for cake, but uh our buddy Josh sent us some cupcakes recently and I I really enjoyed my cupcake. Right? I love taking a cupcake to the dome. Yeah. Does it feel like modern cupcakes hit so much harder than they did when you were a kid? Like when when it was a kid's birthday or something and cupcakes were on the menu? Yeah. It feels yeah. like even as a kid, the biggest cupcake was still pretty small. Yeah. And now cupcakes are like fucking bowling balls. They're, yeah. they're so big. They're the size of a baby's head. They're so sweet. They're so buttery now. Yeah. I think that's because like the frosting on those cupcakes from the grocery store when you were a kid tastes like a petroleum product. Mm-hmm. And I never liked it. I never liked it even when I was a kid. Like I was like, I like that it's sweet, but I don't like how fucking yeah. like weird it tastes basically. And the buttercream completely solves for that. You do that thing where you pull off the stump and put it on top of the frosting so that you can eat it like a sandwich. <laughs> you got to. That's the best yeah. way to eat a cupcake. 
Yeah. If you're not pulling off the stump and putting it on top of the frosting, try it. It'll change your life. You don't marinate the stump when it's a cupcake. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cut it in half like a cheeseburger and then uh, then pull the stump parts off, put them on top of the, the frosting. It's a much better way to eat a cupcake. Any questions? So they make this deal. Uh, Book has an opportunity to earn Isolidium. And we cut to the shuttle where Burnham and Owo are on their way toward Parathia. And Owo is like, hey, Cap, like, um, kind of weird that you picked me. Like, mostly people that work on the bridge never get to do missions. <laughs> so, so I don't usually get this much dialogue most episodes. Yeah. And so, like... I'm just want to prepare you. Like, if I start to just trail off, it's because I've never done this before. (laughs) I don't know how to talk this much. (laughs) And also, like, I'm sure that it got back to you that I was, like, a little bit out of hand in a recent episode. Right. And I apologize to Saru. And so if this is about that, like, you wanted to keep a closer eye on me, like, I learned my lesson. The captain is kind of like, hey, actually... Sort of kindred spirit energy between the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> like, I I know that feel super well, Oo. Yeah, Oo's there because she's got some backbone. Yeah. We're, we're going to need backbone. It's not, right. not just your star chart validation skills. They're going to need backbone when they fly the shuttle into a hollow monster yeah. that is obscuring the karma barge inside. I loved this landing sequence. This was so exciting. Haas Mazzaro's hollow monster karma barge. <laughs> I also love seeing what the karma barge actually looked like from the outside. Yeah. Yeah. I like it a lot. They would have just described that on Star Trek Voyager. They would never have had the resources to show the outside of the karma barge. No. Now you cut to the wide shot. You can see the whole thing. Yeah. Everything above the waterline anyway. There's a whole lot of karma barge beneath the waterline, Ben. I was sort of wondering, because they talk about like, oh, we're going into a place where Starfleet does not have any jurisdiction. We're not going to be able to bring guns or anything. I was kind of imagining that they would get into civilian clothing and try and do this a little bit more on the down low, but they go in in the regalia. It's such Starfleet hubris to do this. Sheer fucking hubris. (laughs) <laughs> Definitely not a couple of narcs here. <laughs> this is just the only change of clothes I have. I mean, this the group of people in this casino, I feel like would have made them as Starfleet either way. They'd be like, look at the shoes. They walk weird. They're Starfleet. I mean, this is where Saru instead of Oa would have been a very interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> if Glowworm was too cutesy a name for you, Burnham's nom de guerre for interacting with Hazmazaro is right hook Burnham. Yeah. <laughs> Tail for another time. She's also on very friendly terms with him. And You're uh, going to be very surprised when you learn what that has to do with. <laughs> You're also going to be very surprised when she's not the one doing the right hooks later in the episode. Yeah. You get the feeling of uh-oh right away because this is the very same karma barge that Book and Tarka were just at. Yeah. Like, uh, are they going to run into each other at the craps table? Or have Book and Tarka already left? And you're not sure initially. And Burnham comes in and, like, gives 
Hosmer Zaro a bunch of money and she's like, cool, we're here to buy Isolinium. And he's like, that would be great, except for I sort of like already have an agreement with somebody about some of that. And uh, there's only so much. So bit of an awkward situation. You also didn't bring enough money. This is the moment where Burnham gives Owo the chance to take the off ramp to the story. She's <laughs> like, look, Owo, you're a bridge officer and you don't normally get this far into an episode's A story before you're gone. And so if you would be more comfortable taking the exit here, I'd understand. Right. I usually do these missions by myself. Takes a hell of a big ego, no? <laughs> or with book, but he's the B story today. And this is a great moment for Owo because she doesn't take that off ramp. She's into the mission no matter what. And she knows it's her only chance at a storyline. She woke up this morning and chose mission. <laughs> yeah. Elsewhere in the club, uh, we find that Tarka and Book have not left. They're there. They're just on the other side. They're on the hunt for cheaters, gambling yeah. cheaters. And I found it really weird that Book didn't use his glowy powers to find this cheater. I did too. Never even attempts it. Yeah, maybe it's too showy or maybe his glowy powers don't work like that. But yeah. it would have been nice to at least hear why. Yeah, instead he uses just regular ass powers of observation to see an alien blinking strangely. And he's yeah. like, that's the guy. That guy's up yeah. to no good. But that guy, you know, it's one of those like somebody passes in front of the camera and that guy is gone. Yeah. He like jumped behind the newspaper delivery van that yeah. was passing. And so the the hunt continues and we get the sense that there's lots of like other crimes going on pickpocketing and stuff sure people that don't have their passport and that weird skin colored belt under their shirt came into the wrong casino <laughs> it's funny how Haz Mazaro's karma barge is depicted as being extremely dangerous but the only danger we see is cheating at gambling right no one feels lethal in this room yeah, I mean, there was that one guy that like bumped his shoulder into Owo and was a bit of a dick about it, but that's not like yeah everybody in here. Oh. Michael Burnham catches up with Book after Tarka wanders off and she's like, hey, uh, so we seem to have found ourselves on the same karma barge. Weird <laughs> coincidence. Why don't we have a discussion about you maybe not putting the safety of the entire galaxy at risk so that... Tarka can escape to a different universe? <laughs> of all the karma barges and all the water planets, <laughs> we have to meet up at Hazmazaro's karma barge. <laughs> what do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth. 
wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Book is pot committed. He is not interested in being talked out of his thing. Or the idea that he'll be forgiven if he goes through it, right? Right. Yeah, she's saying. Because Burnham's like, look, you can take the bomb making material. That's fine. Like, I'm not going to stop you from doing that. But why don't you take it and turn it in? And turn in Tarka. Yeah. I'll make sure that the DA considers your cooperation when uh, considering sentencing. And Book is like, you knew when you met me, baby, (laughs) that you'd have to share me with every holographic whale monster casino in the galaxy. This is not sharing. This is leftovers. You read the terrain looking for isolidium. (laughs) I'm on the edge of Hazmazaro's karma barge, where I got to be. It keeps my gambling sharp. Yeah. So Burnham, you get the sense that Burnham's going to stop him, but it's not going to happen right then and there. Yeah. She goes right up to Hasmazaro of Hasmazaro's Karma Barge. 
about buying the Isolinium out from under book. Yeah. Let's make a deal. What do I got to get you? And he's like, well, like I saw what you had in your bag. You're going to need to triple it. And she like gets out her iPhone and it was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Do not call any more Federation. Uh, this is a one Federation mission at a time karma barge. And I don't want a lot of those guys breathing down my neck. Do you think Michael Burnham was terrible at her space piracy job? <laughs> because this is a bad look for someone who used to run in these circles. Yeah, I mean, she she was relying on the largesse of the Federation at this time. I feel like she should have just come with way more dough. Yeah. But Owo's got a w- an idea for how they can uh, they can get their bands up. As a degenerate gambler, Ben, I do want to say that you never want to go to the casino with all your money. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do it. And you're not supposed to count it while you're sitting at the table? You want to leave your debit cards at home. <laughs> I wondered how you felt in this scene because this the end of this scene is very much the turn to we're going to get our bands up by gambling it in Hasmazaro's Karma Barge and we're going to have to triple our money right. while we're here. Yeah. Was that an exciting turn in the episode for you or was it an eye roll because well the possibility of tripling your money in a casino is so far-fetched? I was excited about the idea that it could go there, but instead it turns into uh, sacrificing Owo's body in the boxing <laughs> ring. <laughs> yeah, but before we get to that, we have a uh, grief transference scene between Culber and Stamets. Stamets comes home and finds Culber kind of stress cleaning. You're stressed. I'm not stressed. You're also cleaning. And yelling at the Roomba. Yeah. You can't do that. Not a good look to yell at the room, but... Yeah. No! He has not gotten better. No improvement since his uh, his therapy session. Even Stamets can tell he's out of sorts. <laughs> the first social cue Stamets has picked up on in three seasons. Right. Culber <laughs> is upset because he feels responsible for Book's actions. And Stamets states the obvious that you and me and everyone else who watches the show understands that a person is never responsible for someone else's actions. And they're all stressed because of this being the fourth season in a row where the fate of the universe lies in the balance. Yeah. He's like, hey, we can all relate. Let's go through the the stress together. Let's face the fear as a team and not isolate each other. Maybe some holodick would be a restorative distraction. (laughs) From all of our troubles. Sometimes it needs a little shush. A date. Just what the doctor ordered. The doctor of fungal science. (laughs) When they leave, like, we hang in the scene for a few extra seconds and we see the dot get to work with the black light and then we cut away. Yeah. There is a lot of cum on that wall. That's what I'm saying. Like, we cut away before we see just how much, but we see a fair amount. Like the particle effects coming off the wall, prodigious. How unusual do you think it is to manually clean anything in this century? Like, would anyone even know how? That would have been a really funny punch up in the script if Culber was like doing a terrible job of cleaning. Yeah, well, (laughs) the ship cleans for us. (laughs) I mean, I'm using a brushy thing in the toilet and the only brushy thing I knew of were these black toothbrushes. I mean- Is that what you use? I don't know. 
my friend Andrew Walsh has a show called The Spotless Podcast where he talks with his co-host about their mutual love of cleaning. Mm. And uh, they occasionally will do a segment where they review a scene in a movie or a television show where somebody cleans something and like rate how clean they think that that actually got the room. You know, I have a suggestion for them over on that podcast. If they ever want the show to end Uh and they're looking for a way out, one of them should just get a puppy. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Andrew's going to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe file that away. Put that in the back pocket, Andrew. So we come back to Haas Mazzaro's Karma Bard, where Owo has entered the octagon against the like six foot eight monster man that shouldered her on their way into the casino. This guy's an absolute unit, and he's got that in-ring confidence of someone just sort of slouching on the ropes. Mm -hmm. He is uh, like three or four weight classes bigger than Owo. And for that disparity, Owo gets totally thunderlipsed into the ring, like picked up and dropped. Yeah. I think that Burnham did a bad job in giving Owo her nickname. Yeah. I don't think naming her after a Jersey Shore character was <laughs> the right move here. Um, so I threw my drink in her face. For all the bad work she did in that, I did like Carnival Barker mode for Michael Burnham. That was fun. I did like that too. Yeah. It would be really fun to do that, you know? This fight goes so poorly, and the rematch is asked for and granted so fast that yeah. at this point, I really started to feel concerned for OO and her safety. Yeah, because it's not like hustling pool where losing doesn't get you thrown six feet down onto the mat by yeah. a huge man with a beard. Correct me if I'm wrong, but is there anything in OO's backstory that suggests abilities in this area like she trains with detmer a lot with the punching dummies and stuff oh yeah but i got the sense that detmer was more of the pugilist than owo was for some reason hmm i don't know exactly i mean i sort of wondered after this first fight how much owo was in control of the situation and she was just letting it look like she got badly beat the first time Yeah, I mean, this is a professional power imbalance here that is kind of scary. Yeah. Were you to scrutinize it more than a little bit? Right. I mean, I was like, I hope she has like Wolverine claws or something. Yeah, I mean, Burnham is the one with the nickname Right Hook. (laughs) Tail for another time. Yeah. Why isn't her ass in the ring? I don't know. Owo knows she can't say anything because Owo is going to get kicked off of the A story if she does. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, yeah, keep me in, coach. (laughs) (laughs) Book and Tarka have a little conversation while the second round is going on. We don't even really get to watch the second of the three fights because Book and Tarka are still on the hunt for the gambling thieves. And now they're beginning to think that there may be a ring, uh, like a coordinated ring, because they see another alien doing rhythmic blinking. Yeah. They're like, oh, so they're signaling to each other. We got to figure out who is in the ring, who's doing the signaling and to whom and about what. And uh, if we can do that before Owo definitely wins this fight, we can get the Isolinium. I guess. 
Third time's a charm. I mean, like, Book has so much fucking faith in Burnham because he's like, I know that it looks like, oh, wow, is getting her ass handed to her (laughs) over there. (laughs) Trust me, she is not. (laughs) Yeah. The odds have changed so much by the time the third fight rolls around that it's 45 to one. And Burnham bets it all on Oo in the third and deciding match. Mm -hmm. The blocking of this scene telegraphs the ball shot, right? Yeah. And I guess this isn't like Marquess of Queensberry rules on Hasmazaro's Karma Barge because below the belt is fair game on the Karma Barge. It turns out in this ring, all aliens do keep their genitals in the same place. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, She fucking tunes this guy up, beats him really badly and goes for the big payout. This is sort of like happening right at the same time as Book and Tarka realize that the guy that they've been tracking is a shapeshifter. Owo and Burnham are like getting their payout and the guy that uh, represents the other fighter is uh, accusing them of having hustled the game. A real Giovanni Rabisi looking dude. Yeah, yeah. The fighter uh, has like a hollow knife that he pulls out and Book catches this and goes in and knocks the guy onto the pool table. And uh, weirdly, this pool table has been drained of water. Oh, yeah. I thought that was weird. (laughs) I mean, Book sets him up and then Burnham knocks him out, though. Yeah. Hasmazaro's Karma Barge does seem like a place that is asking for a cat lady to dance on the bar. And does not have that. Does feel like that kind of place. Kind of strange. Yeah. They can't celebrate too long because the changeling gets spotted once again. And the changeling has kind of a cool exit strategy by turning themselves into a tribble. A turbo tribble. <laughs> like Kind of like if you could turn yourself into an RC car and get out of a room full of people. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. what this person does. And then, uh, and then Tarka, using a little handheld device immobilizes this person and reveals them to be a founder. Yeah. What the fuck? And they're still doing bad Odo face. Mr. Bucket. Yeah. I love that Odo face continuity. (laughs) This puts the A and the B stories in direct conflict with each other because Book has completed his find the gambling thief mission right as Michael Burnham has completed her get all the money we need storyline. And Hasmazaro's like, well, (laughs) awkward. And because Burnham and Book are reunited on the A story, Owo takes four giant steps backwards out of the scene, turns and walks away. She makes eye contact with Tarka and just nods her head off into a deep corner. Yeah. Why don't you come with me? Where they're going to spend the rest of the episode. Hasmazaro explains to Book and Burnham, there's only one way to resolve this, and it is through a poker game. I've contacted a couple of my regulars, the most suburban Canadian-looking crime lords in the galaxy. We didn't even have to get them into costumes or makeup. This is just how they came. (laughs) These are just people that hang around in Toronto. We had to tell them to stop smoking cigarettes for the next few hours. (laughs) And that was all they had to do. Yeah. So uh, they get to look at the goods. They get to inspect the Isolinium before the gambling match. And uh, the two newcomers get to go first. Hey, 
Do you think that the founder that they found earlier makes Haz Mazzaro's place of business the Karma Chameleon Barge? Mm. Hmm. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think that math checks out. All right. I just couldn't let that go. <laughs> that has to be in the show, Ben. If I had thought of it, I wouldn't have been able to either. Yeah. But I didn't. <laughs> when these uh, people who would otherwise be on a Canadian real estate show <laughs> are off in the other room, Burnham and Book are like, did you see those guys? They're trying to be the next Osira, but less scary seeming. Yeah. They are holdouts from the Emerald Chain. And uh, neither of them really like the idea of them going for the gold. So they come up with an agreement to kind of team up to eliminate those two from the game first. And then it's uh, it's going to be a, you know, let the best person win. Yeah. They're going to settle the matter of who gets the isolinium at the poker table, a storyline that would have been perfect in 1998. Well, you feeling satisfied now, Teddy? I mean, it's a real Casino Royale feeling, right? Yeah. It's winner take all, and we cut to the card game in progress. And I want a deck of these cards, Ben. It seems like you could play with them. I know. I really hope that they put these out. Yeah. They look great. Michael Burnham is not a fun person to play poker with because she is very dramatic and very chatty. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, she's running game. She's dramatic and chatty to be annoying to the uh, to the other two people. Well, right. I mean, she's a storytelling instrument for the viewer, too, because we need her dialogue to act as a form of voiceover to the action. Right, because we're not, like, actually seeing a real poker game play out where right. we can't actually follow what's going on with the cards. What we can follow is Michael Burnham and how much Haz Mazzaro seems to love dealing cards. Every time somebody gets eliminated or a big pot goes to somebody, Haz Mazzaro, incredibly entertained by this. Yeah. Kind of feels like bad karma barge <laughs> to celebrate someone's loss like that. Yeah. Kind of a dick move for the casino owner. My raft, my rules. We only see one hand, you know, go turn by turn, and the rest of the poker is played out via montage. It kind of looked like a variation on Texas Hold'em, though, right? It did, yeah. Book's hand gestures and stuff are so blatant in telegraphing (laughs) what he's doing and the information he wants to convey to Burnham that it just seems impossible that Hazmazaro would let this happen. Unless Hazmazaro were somehow involved and and yeah. wanting the result to go in a certain way, that's not the angle this story takes at all. I mean, we've established that Hazmazaro has a huge problem with people <laughs> gambling in a dishonest way in his facility. It turns out he's extremely bad at running his karma barge. Yeah. How did he get this karma barge in the first place when he's this bad at it? I don't know. One of the cutaways during the gambling is to a little conversation between Owo and Tarka. And Tarka's like, I bet you fucking wish you could just arrest me and haul me back by the fucking short and curlies, right? And Owo's like, I mean, like, I kind of get what you're doing. I understand your motivation. Owo has been punched in the face and head a number of times, has been thrown into the ground as hard as that giant guy could do it. Yeah. Seems all right. (laughs) yeah she hasn't waved a light over her split open cheekbone though yeah owo just will not stop needling tarka what is it then with all these little questions so who is it about then about his motivations someone who's gone 
And Tarka plays it off before finally getting affected by her. Yeah. He says he doesn't really feel like he has a choice because of the extent to which he has lost. Yeah. And I sort of wonder if that is being set up as something that will pay off as real. You know, like we've been talking on our Prodigy episodes about like, will will the Diviner's methods seem reasonable given what he's actually doing when when that is revealed i would be very surprised if one of the takeaways from the season was uh if only we could understand evil (laughs) (laughs) we might be able to get with their way of thinking but like the point here is that book sees tarka's goal is aligned with his own despite the fact that Tarka is clearly trying to like skip out once they're done delivering the bomb to the DMA. Owo can like philosophically understand Tarka even though she doesn't agree with him but like what is the loss? Is the loss just that Tarka's friend is in the other universe? Is that it? Do we already know it or is there something bigger and more fucked up? I think there's got to be more to it than that. Yeah. I kind of do too. And this is a show that relishes the waiting for that. Like all new Star Trek relishes that. Yeah. Much in the same way as, as TNG was about relishing in your birdie. <laughs> this is about relishing in your trauma. Yeah. Back at the table, it is, uh, it's heads up action between Book and Michael Burnham. And Book has a distinct chip advantage. And when these cards come, Burnham starts talking about what would happen if Book were to win, which is book being forever guilty forever alone and forever without michael burnham and i think there's an interesting compositional thing happening here in this scene ben i wonder if you noticed this everything is tack sharp on michael burnham yeah and i think they're using a lens on book that warps his face oh yeah you know how sometimes you can go like you can rent a lens that's like 40 years old yeah and it's artistic in its weird properties right it's imperfect in ways that are that are very pleasing in certain situations. And I feel like this is an old lens or something that they're using on his face or there's some sort of effect happening because yeah. there's something about Book when you see his face that is a little bit askew. Yeah, I think it might just be that it's a very wide lens and sure. the one that they're shooting Michael Burnham with is considerably longer mm-hmm. relative to it. But yeah, it does really like make the two of them feel like they're in a very different place, which only heightens the tension between them as she kind of makes the case that, like, this is a Rubicon. Like, Mm -hmm. if you win this hand and walk out of here with the Isolidium, it's like when you launch the final mission in a video game and, like, the game throws up a little dialogue that says, like, you want to make sure that you've got all of the, like, bows and arrows that you can collect before you go beyond this point because there's no turning back. Right. I just really like how this scene doesn't go Dutch angle or doesn't get shaky cam or anything. Like, it's just really subtle with this choice. I dug it. Book goes all in and Burnham calls and Burnham and me (laughs) thought that Book was bluffing. Yeah. She calls him with her straight thinks that's a winning hand, but that straight loses to Book's flush, and Book wins. Book wins the whole damn thing. Haslamaro puts the Isolinium, which kind of looks like a very fancy dildo still in its packaging. Yes. On the, on the poker table. 
Walks out. It looks like a Webby Award. <laughs> I mean, it's like a very little Webby Award. Yeah. I have a Webby Award. It's big. I know. It's very big and impressive. Everyone likes your Webby Award, Ben. Not quite. <laughs> and uh, and that's it. We're back on book ship now. And Tarka's like, hey, hey, bud, don't worry about it. You fucked your girlfriend over. You know, you made huge sacrifices, but uh, anything worth doing is worth sacrificing for. Yeah, I mean, and this is consistent with your observation earlier in the episode, which is like easy for Tarka to say. Yeah. Tarka's like, hey, everyone's going to understand what this is over. You're going to be a hero. And Book in his mind has got to be like, yeah, but you're going to be gone. <laughs> no matter what. I wanted Book to say this. Yeah. It was driving me nuts that Book didn't say that. Yeah. Like, we can have them continue to work together and still have conflict between them. It makes these scenes even more delicious if it's out on the table like that, if yeah. if that conflict is there. I don't get leaving it unsaid, because it's mm. certainly not even suggested yeah. by what either of them are doing or saying. Like, you could forget that that's an element of it if yeah. you didn't remember the last episode that well after a bunch of weeks away from Discovery. Yeah. Burnham and... The Admiral and President Rillick meet back up now that the mission is over. And Rillick is like, hey, um, so first of all, add a girl for spotting a loophole that you could exploit in your orders and finding book. But um, what the fuck were you thinking not arresting him? I offered you a chance to be a cop and you blew it. Yeah, he was right there. <laughs> Admiral Secret Service agent. Attached to the presidential detail one last time, throws himself <laughs> in front of this bullet. And uh, he's like, listen, Burnham was way beyond her jurisdiction. She was not armed. She didn't have yeah. any way of doing that. But we got a lot of intel out of this. And Burnham is like, not only that, I put a tracker on the dildo. Yeah. Just like Spock did Kirk that one time. You see it all the time, except this is one of those trackers that disappears and doesn't stick onto a wool uniform like <laughs> like a Brillo pad. Yeah. It's not like one of those GPS devices from the movies that has like a really obvious red LED light that blinks. And it's like, wouldn't the spies notice the blinking light on the fucking bumper of their car? I really love the flashback here. And I've got to believe that this was an intentional choice where... You see the finger stick the tracker onto the Webby Award, yeah. and it doesn't disappear for like two seconds longer than you think it would. Yeah, like, you're like, that does not seem super discreet, <laughs> yeah. and then it disappears. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> it's really good. I also liked rewatching it because in the earlier scene with her and the Isolinium, that like it's below the frame yeah like where she does it but you can see that she has something in her hand if you if you look closely nice. in the wide shot yeah it's really nice so president relic is like wow like you are really great at captaining <laughs> i am sorry that i laid into you like that we now have a position on book and tarka we now have a position of a ship that could spore jump away the second we arrive on scene. Yeah. So we're going to have to surprise attack because uh -huh. you only get one shot. Yeah. Then we have to have a final McLaughlin group Issue one. down in engineering where Stamets and Saru talk them through the results of the research they've done on the part of space that the 10C live in. And... 
this is not great news. The Tensi have a huge force field around their entire star system that probably takes an unimaginable amount of energy to create. And as they're working through this, Michael Burnham is like, DMA! What does this thing want? DMA! What if the DMA is like not leaving a certain thing behind as it randomly scrapes through space? What if there's something disappearing like boronite? And everybody's like, boronite? She's like, yep, boronite. Let's look for residual boronite. The clothes watching detergent? Heavy stuff. <laughs> well, it's not precisely a detergent, but it can enhance the function of your detergent. Right. <laughs> so Zora does a quick study and Zora is able to confirm it. Boronite, absent from all of these areas. The DMA is kind of a threshing machine for this boronite. Yeah. It's a mining device, which really feels like they're biting the rhyme of the 2009 Star Trek movie. Right. Mining device having killed planet Vulcan. The big takeaway is if this species throws away this kind of technology on their mining equipment, yeah. what the hell kind of weapons do they have when they really mean it? Yeah. Scary to contemplate and seems like information that might cause Book and Target to reconsider what they are doing. <laughs> I mean, if only they could be talked out of it, which yeah. they can't be. Owo tried. Doesn't seem like they are open to hearing other people's positions on the matter. Yeah. I am very open to hearing your position on whether or not this was a good episode, Ben. Did you like it? I did like it. I feel like this episode was a refreshing return to discovery for me. You know, I think we've we've talked a little bit about like just how much unpacking trauma has seemed to be attendant to each episode of this season so far. And there is a little bit of that in this, but it felt like they kind of drew it back a little bit and made this more of a fun adventure in a casino. And like the fact that Owo got it in an octagon, I like couldn't have seen that coming when the episode started and the, the twists and turns were really fun. And I, uh, I enjoyed it. And I feel like, uh, Hasmazaro's Carbobar just, just like, like what a fun setting, what a fun character. Like, I feel like I'll, I'll think about that for a long time. How about you? Today I learned what a karma barge was. <laughs> Which the show seems to suggest has always been a thing. Right. Which I don't, I don't like feeling like that. I don't like feeling that kind of stupid. Like, you didn't know what a karma barge was? Obviously, <laughs> they're all over the place, idiot. Yeah. I didn't like that feeling, but I did like the episode for all the reasons you stated. And I think this show is stronger when more people are involved in the story. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Sonequa Martin-Green. I think she's a great actor. But I feel like Discovery promised itself as an ensemble. And it's never lived up to that promise, if it ever was one. And I really like the episodes where they invite the rest of the characters along for its storytelling. And this is an example of that. Like we get so few of these where we get to bring a bridge crew person along for a mission. Makes no damn sense. Yeah. And I don't mean Saru. Like I'm, I'm excluding Saru, I think, because Saru does this a lot. But sure. it's been the book and Michael show for a long, long time. And there are interesting stories to tell with other characters. And I'd like to see more of that. Me too. Do you want to get into the Priority One inbox, see if we got anything in there, my friend? I'm already there. 
Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, our first Priority One message is from your brother, and it's to Jer Bear. Goes like this. I'm taking Adam up on his challenge for a Greatest Generation, Greatest Discovery crossover P1. Hell yeah. So I am once again walking up to Anybody Canyon and yelling, Are you listening, Jer Bear And now, a Rolaren drop for old time's sake. Wow. A little cross P1 action here. Yeah, you rarely hear the Rolaren drop on Greatest Discovery, but it happens from time to time. Yeah, the P1 makes it happen. Yeah. Well, thank you, your brother, for that P1. Hope you liked it, Jer Bear. Or (laughs) I guess it could be Jerry Bear. Oh, it could be Jerry Bear. Is there a pronunciation guide? It could no. be Harry Bear if the J sounds like an H. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it does. It could be Harry Bear. <laughs> we'll never know. It could be Yaur Brother. <laughs> ben, the next priority one message is from Ding Man. Ding Man. Mm. And it is to Squirrel Patrol, a.k.a. Dan and Angie. Message goes like this. I want to thank the two of you for many wonderful things, not the least of which is getting me listening to the Uxbridge Shimoda brand of pot. Hey. After trying many Trek pods that were far too serious, Ben and Adam <laughs> reignited my love for Trek in a new way. Thanks as well for being great friends in so many ways. Merry Xmas 2021. <laughs> wow, I, a very belated Xmas P1. I like it. I like that the note here. From Ding Man. Yeah. Says, whenever it's my turn is when you could play this one. Just keep the Xmas reference so we all remember when Drunk <laughs> Ding Man bought this P1. Drunk Ding Man happened. So only a few short months ago. Yeah. Ding Man. Logged on. <laughs> and wrote this P1. Indeed. If you're drunk right now and would like a P1... Head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron and set one up. It helps us keep the lights on around here. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? It's really hard for me to throw that honor to anybody other than the person that did a Tribble-related thing in an episode. Mm. And the Changeling in this episode turns into a Tribble. That's a good call. I was so curious about this Changeling. I love the redesign of what the shape-shifting looks like. The kind of like particle effect look of that looked really great to me. And I want more Changeling stuff. I wanted, I'm so curious about what happened to the founders this far in the future of DS9. So seems like this one really fell pretty far from grace <laughs> if they're ripping off gamblers and Hazmazara's karma barge. But uh, for turning into a tribble, the changeling was my drunk Shimoda. That was such an interesting moment to me because like much in the same way that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic, mm-hmm. there was a time when founders were perceived as a type of magic, yeah. like a very special thing. And since making this jump into the far future, yeah, there's been a normalization of even the founder's style of magic. Like, they capture this founder, and I guess they're let go. There's not a big deal made out of their confinement or anything. It would have been pretty funny to cut to the exterior of the karma barge and just see the founder get thrown out the front door into the ocean. <laughs> right. 
and then turn into like a whale and swim away. <laughs> so weird how founder technology or like the presence of a founder like doesn't even move the needle for anyone. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. huh. just yeah. another shapeshifter. I have so many questions. Yeah. Uh, my Edward Larkin is going to be Odo. Uh, Odo? You got founders on the brain, my friend. <laughs> my Edward Larkin is Owo, obviously. <laughs> oh, wow. That's who I meant to say. Really, really trusting of Michael Burnham and her plan here for Owo's body and mm-hmm. how it's going to be used to earn money. Licensed boxing. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean... By the same token, Michael Burnham is very trusting of Owo's abilities of a fighter because... She gets in the ring with a guy that is fucking huge. I expected that moment out of a Rocky film where Mickey turns to Rocky and is like, I got to stop the fight. Yeah. Or Rocky turns to Creed and is like, I got to stop the fight. Like, there's no moment where they realize she's outmatched. There's always confidence that she's going to hit him in the ding ding and is going to win all the money. This episode needed that scene. It also needed the taping up the hand scene, like the Mm -hmm. getting psyched up for the fight scene. I feel like it needed both. Do you think the lack of that moment suggests that they always knew they were going to sandbag for the bigger odds and then buy in for the full amount at the very end to get the big payout? Is that what we're supposed to assume here? I think it must be because especially in the context that they get accused of that exact thing by the fight promoter guy. But I guess. Yeah. I mean, there's something a little clunky about that. Yeah, that doesn't like peg the needle dramatic stakes wise. If it's going to be a fight, give us all the conflicts inherent to that kind of situation. Yeah. Well, uh, good Larkin, my friend. We don't have any information about the next episode as of this recording. But if we get some before Wendy records the credits, she'll tell you all about it in these here credits. Take it away. The Greatest Discovery is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. Next week on the show, the guys will be reviewing episode nine of season four. It's called Rubicon. Captain Burnham and the USS Discovery race to stop Book and Tarka from launching a rogue plan that could inadvertently endanger the galaxy. The music that you hear on The Greatest Discovery is by Adam Ragusea. Make sure you're subscribed to his cooking channel over on YouTube. Bill Tilly runs all the Greatest Trek social media accounts. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and use the hashtag Greatest Discovery to connect with us and other viewers online. If you want to support the show, you can do that in a number of different ways. You can recommend it to a friend or leave us a five-star review online. You could get a P1 for an upcoming episode or become a member at MaximumFun.org slash join. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported